Hey, everybody. It's great to be with you. Thanks a million. I'm a hugger. You're right. You know, I was in New York a couple weeks ago. They're not huggers. I'm <laughs> like, whatever. This ain't a business trip. Like, sue me. Um, <laughs> it's great to be with you. And Jeff, man, thank you for your words. Like, just beautiful. Like, does God want me to have an airplane? Some of these things, and then you got to hear from Mark last night. Um, I went down to uh, Houston. They had a Young Life thing down there. They were trying to raise enough money to send eight kids, eight bus floats full of kids to camp. And so I thought, well, it's just down the street. I'll just run over there. <laughs> and David and Christy said they'd pick me up at the airport. Then they started canceling all the flights. We got back here at 3.45 in the morning. <laughs> and these guys, you know, what? The, one of the questions we were asking, is it harder to give or receive? That was really hard for me because they just kept sending these text messages. I'm like, dang. I'm like, go home. And they just kept saying No. And, uh, man, I think love just lays in wait for us, doesn't it? I, I just love lays in wait. That's what, who we are and what we want to be. When I, was, uh, when I visited Mark Batterson's church, there was, uh, uh, I'm not very good at singing, but I want to get better after hearing all the sketch. And you guys are pretty good. You're like pretty good singers, the bride of Christ, right? Well, there was a song that somebody was singing. There's a girl signing it as they're doing all the things. And I don't know much sign language, but I know this means Jesus, right? And this means a really long time, but that's it. That's all I know. And uh, during one of the whoa, whoa, whoa sections, everybody, 3,000 people go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the woman started doing this. And I leaned forward and I said, what does that mean? And she says, it means awesome. Isn't that great here? Do this one. If somebody asks you, like, how are you doing? Be like, awesome. <laughs> are you doing awesome? Don't do that. You'll need me. You'll need a lawyer. <laughs> but that's what this is, that God that we serve. He's just that awesome God. And my problem is this recovering lawyer is I just want to agree with Jesus. And that's my problem. I read stuff, like some of the stuff like love your enemies in Matthew 5. You know, love your enemies so you can be perfect, so you can be awesome, like your Father in heaven's birth. And I want to agree. I want you guys to, you ought, you ought to love your enemies. I don't want to love mine. They stink, right? That's why they got on my enemies list. They're evil. And I got to show them. Oh, and then it goes on to saying, then if you go to worship and you realize somebody has something against you to like square it up and then go to worship. And I want to agree. I think you guys should do that. I don't want to. Man, there's churches everywhere in the U.S. and they have these signs over the doors that say, turn off your cell phones. And people, you walk into a church, that's the first thing you turn on. And you send a text message to somebody who's got something against you. Here's the short version sorry, and press send, right? You want the long version? Let's talk soon. Man, I just, if you're like me, I just, I agree about being generous, but then I want to be generous. I want to lay in wait till 345, and I want to just say that that's, we just want to love people that way. That's why you're in this room. That's why you roll the way that you roll. One of the things that um, I learned was from Adam, Adam is a, my high school kid. Last year he graduated. He's in high school, uh, college now. But his senior year, because he's got my DNA, right, he's just like, you know, all gas, no break. <laughs> He'd make coffee nervous like his dad. And um, so I look, I don't know what your senior year in high school, were you guys coasting? 
Like, he has, like, ball monitor and teacher's pet and all that, but, like, no real, like, one class, right? So I said, okay, Adam, go take your one class that you take, and then I want you to go to the airport and get your pilot's license. And now Adam's kind of like me, maybe like some of you guys, he doesn't have a lot of forward-looking radar in the nose cone. He's not, like, thinking out there. He's just thinking, like, what's right here? Well, that's the ultimate pass-fail test, right? Right? You crash, you fail. So... After three, uh, like, lessons, he's flying around in the Cessna all alone. And then, so he gets his pilot's license, and, and he's had his eye on dad's plane because God wanted me to buy a plane. <laughs> he, well, he didn't tell me so because he doesn't speak to me audibly. He speaks to me through you guys. He speaks to me through circumstances. You know the one I got? It's called a de Havilland Beaver. Do you know what those are? Oh, they're like guy planes. They were built in the 1940s, like six days, seven nights, you know, like Harrison Ford. They take off and land on the water. You can tell when they're out of oil, they stop leaking. Like, they're terrific. <laughs> so he's been, he's had his eye on dad's plane, and we have this place in Canada, and we've been looking at this lake for the last 10 years, and we've been wondering, I wonder if we could land the plane in that lake, because it looks like two of these, end to end, from the air, it gets pretty small, and the last day of the summer, I said, Adam, let's go land the plane, and he's like, no, so we, it's all hydraulics, right, because it's from the 40s, so I put up in the hydraulics, and these flaps come out like these dining room tables, and this lake is at the bottom of a 4,000-foot canyon, and there's no way out. It's too narrow to turn around in the middle, so once you're in, you're in, and so I go, in and you have to push forward because you have to descend 4,000 feet, and then make this big turn, and then really push forward because the trees get pretty big at the end, and then right before before the end, you pull out all the flaps and you land and we did, we were chest bumping. I'm like, yeah. And then I turned to Adam. I said, all right, Adam, you take us out of here. And he was like, no. And so we pulled the plane way back in the weeds, right? And I got out of the left seat where all the controls were and sat in the right seats. Now, do you know, remember back to the future? How fast does the De- DeLorean have to be going before it takes off? 88. And you guys can't remember scripture. Okay. <laughs> Just saying, a beaver has to be going 52, right? You pull back at 45, the floats dig in, you hit the trees. You wait till you're going 80, you ran out of lake, you hit the trees. So I'm over here and Adam throws in all the throttle like a big dog and I'm watching like 30, 40, 50, 60 and I'm thinking, pull back. But I didn't say anything and he pulls back and we just missed these trees. I'm like, thank God. God, then we're like chest bumping and pounding, I'm like eyes on the road, but like, yeah. And then I said to Adam, all right, you land us in the lake. And he's like, no. And I was thinking, no. So he turns the plane and you guys, he came in. I bet he was like from here to the screen, the wingtip from the cliff, but I didn't say anything. And he pushed forward and he was coming in kind of hot, but I didn't say anything. And he made this turn. If it would have gone on YouTube, it would have gone viral. I didn't even know a plane could do that. And he came in. I didn't push forward enough because we were 70 feet off the water when we passed where I stopped. And the trees were getting pretty big, but I didn't say anything. And it wasn't pretty but he got this plane on the, on the water and he entered that canyon 19 years old and he landed 38. And I was 120. <laughs> I had jet black hair before that. But you know what I learned? I learned what it's like to be a father who loves a son. And you know the three words I was thinking the whole time? Land 
the plane. Right? And I think the heavenly host, I think heaven's leaning over the rails. You hear these terrific speakers, Mark and Jeff and all the others. And I hope that heaven is just whispering into your ears, land the plane. You know, you know what the next thing is for you. And that that is what I've learned about this idea, this idea of like trying to like land the plane in who God made me to be. Wouldn't you say if we had the answers to these two questions, we'd be in pretty good shape. Who are you and what do you want? Wouldn't you say? Like that's it. Like who are I don't define myself as like a lawyer because everybody will think I'm angry, right? And, and I don't return phone calls. And I'm, I'm not angry and I'm like, I'm awesome at returning phone calls. Like, well, actually I just take them. But there's something like, who am I? Go, you know what? There's a, uh, in the Benedictine tradition, they have, uh, in the sixth chapter, they say there's these guys, they're called porters. And not like the guys with backpacks and yaks. A porter in the Benedictine tradition is somebody that lives a little bit apart from everybody. Does that sound a little bit like you guys? And they have two jobs. They live down by the gate and they greet people and they say, how can I help you on your way? Isn't that beautiful? I'm a porter. There's also a parable, not the parable of the talents, the parable about the tenants. Remember that? There's a guy that makes a farm, and he makes this farm, and he gives it to farmers. And then he sends servants to the farmers, but the farmers beat up the servants. So he sends more servants to the farmers, and they beat them up. And then he sends a son, and they kill him. And the, the parable ends kind of flat. It says, what do you think the landowner's going to do when he meets those farmers. You know, that lands with me. Like, I'm this guy that's been out there kind of beating people up. People that aren't seeing things the way that I see things, I kind of say something, sometimes with my humor. Or, and I just said, like, man, I'm just not that guy anymore. I want to be, the pro- you know the problem with those farmers? They thought they were owners. We're just renting this faith. Jesus just gives us, and we just keep asking for more. But there's we want to be that person that God wants us to be, don't you? Have you guys seen that movie, Hook? It's terrific. If you haven't seen it, cut the afternoon session, watch it. Like, it's terrific. It's Peter Pan, and he grows up, actually turns into Robin Williams. I'm not sure why, but he grows up, and there's a scene where Robin Williams is this uptight lawyer now, like me, except I missed the uptight part. And so he grows up, and there's a scene where one of the lost boys grabs him by the face, and he says, there you are, Peter. It's like, do you remember that scene? And I think that sometimes we get scared to be who we were really meant to be. And so heaven grabs us by the face and I start acting like somebody else. Like I want to be like Jeff or like Mark. Or, and heaven goes like, who are you? Bob Land, you're plain. Like be who I made you to be and find yourself in me right? And we're not, some of us define ourselves by our failures, our biggest failures. And Jesus says, no, surround yourself with prompts that just remind you that, like, I see my rear view mirror. And you know what I think every time when I'm tempted to look back in my life at my screw-ups, I look at that mirror and I say, that's for combing my hair, right? Just surround yourselves with prompts that remind you of who you are and what you want. And I want what you want. I want a Corvette. I want a seaplane, but I don't want a Corvette. I want to be loved. I don't want to be like like 
be, have sweet Maria like me just half as much as I like her. And you know what? You know what Maria has on her list? You know who she is? My wife. You know what she wants? Me home. And I came back from one of these, like, save the world things. And I, you know, sweet Maria, in the 30 years I've been loving her, the 27 she's been loving me back, like, <laughs> she's never raised her voice or said a crossword to me. Can you be, and it's a target-rich environment, right? <laughs> and I came back from one of these save the whole world things, and I pull in the driveway, and in the window by the driveway is a help-wanted sign. It was just that she didn't need help lifting stuff. It's like one of those, like, must be present to win, right? Guys, I'm talking to you. You want to know who you are, what your wife wants? She wants you home. And if we just keep doing, oh, another scene out of, like, Hook, they, like, take his son, and they're having a baseball game, and they meant to say home run Jack, but they get it backwards, and it says run home Jack. That's the loop I'm on. And so I live in San Diego. I work in Seattle. I don't spend the night. I've been, you know that movie, Up in the Air? That guy's got nothing on me. I've been commuting for 26 years. I go up in the morning. They call me Mr. G at the airport. I go up and I come back and I have dinner. I'll have dinner with Maria tonight. Run home, Bob. And it's not guilt. It's like we know who we are and what we want. And we know these people that are in our lives. And we know who they are and what they want. And you know what they want? us. It's crazy. Can I show you what I met? When I met Maria, the first day, she walked into this room. I was like, I'm a young life leader, and I'm playing guitar, and she walks in the room. She gets sent over as a girl leader to kind of bail us out, and uh, so I, I see her, and I'm like, yes, you will be mine. Yeah, so I'm feel like, I, I've already decided I'm marrying her. I'm picking out names for our kids, right? <laughs> we're going to make them. We're going to name them. So the <laughs> It's, there's the deal with Maria. She just didn't like me back. Can I show you what I look like the day I met Maria? Do you have that picture? <laughs> that! <laughs> Isn't that Would you let your daughter date that? Oh, it's like a happy Freddy Krueger. Like, pull it down. You're creeping me out. <laughs> there's something beautiful. There's something beautiful. Ephesians 4, Paul says this. He's talking to his friends and he says, friends, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Now, don't you live his and don't you live hers. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And that's some of what happens in a beautiful couple days like that. You just say stuff. And when the stuff I want is like the stuff Bob wants, the wrong plane, it looks like that. And when I want the stuff that Jesus wants, it just is this small movement, but it looks like that. It just comes into focus. It's a small movement from that to that, but you know it because you've sensed it before. And I know what I'm called to do is lift people up. I mean, you don't have to have a Bible study. We lift up the hurting people. Amen? That's who we are. That's what we want. There was a pastor that asked me if I would speak at his church, and a couple days before the service, he said that, his son had been diagnosed with leukemia. And there's no good version of that, but he got a really aggressive, bad version. And so I spoke, and there's a couple thousand people in this uh, room. And at the end of the service, they're big on laying hands on each other. And I was thinking, we could do that. But then I had this idea. What if we crowd surf them? Do you have that picture? If somebody asked me who you are, 
That's who you are. We lift each other up. You don't say like if, like symbolically I'll lift you up. We lift each other up. And you don't let go until five other strong people have a hold. Amen? That's us. We, we do that with people. People will like be lined up to follow Jesus. We won't have to talk anybody into it. Be like Harry met Sally. Like, I want what they're having because it's working. What, what if we're those guys? And then if you know somebody that's hurting, just even they're here, just go behind them, pick them up and carry them around. You don't have to say you're praying for them. They'll know, Right? We're those people. And then see, I love you guys in the South. I say, when I meet you, it's great to meet you. You know what you guys here say from the South? You say, it's good to see you. And you guys might be just thinking like, that's like a Zoom hike. I think you're just chicken that you may have met me before and you're just covering your tracks. But there's something beautiful. You know what I try to say as often as I remember? It's good to see you. We want to see each other. And not just blow sunshine at each other, but really see each other. Not just agree with Jesus. There's a terrific verse in 1 John 3.16. Not John 3.16, 1 John. Here it is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we had to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in the person? Now listen up. Dear children... Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. There's, it was always a lawyer who was trying to set up Jesus, right? And he said, like, what's the big commandment? It's like, love God with all your heart, soul, mind. And then love your neighbor. And I don't know what they have at, you know, football stadiums like Notre Dame, what they touch before they go on the field. I've got a little yellow stickum on my mirror in my bathroom. And you know what it says? Three things. Love God love people, and do stuff, right? Don't just agree with Jesus, like, and I'm talking to me, I'm like, do something, what's the next step? Whatever that is, and I'm, sometimes I'm confused. There's a, uh, if I sent you an email and I said, what? It'd be like, what? And then after that, a question mark, and after that, an exclamation point, right? There's a beautiful key on a typewriter back in the day, and it's called an interrobang. Isn't that great? An interrobang looks like this. Do you have a picture of that? It's both. Isn't that great? If somebody says, what's it like to live in a community that wants to be generous and rock this world? I'd say it's like crowd surfing. If somebody says, what's it like to follow Jesus and to live into this awesome thing that he's got in my heart? I'd say it's an interrobang. I've got questions about it. Okay, there's stuff I don't know, but I want to get the exclamation point after the right stuff. Don't you? Like, just put the exclamation point. Like, and you know what keeps me from doing that? I get afraid. I just get afraid. And some of you do too. And so I start faking it. Have you guys been to Madame Trousseau's, the wax museum? It's terrific. Michael Jackson's alive. He's like the fifth wax guy. And so I told the kids, like, you want to go to the wax museum? We're in Washington, D.C. And I had this senator coat on and a suit, my best clip-on tie. And they were like, yeah, because they're my kids. And so we went down below. I said, you guys, watch this. And I struck up a pose between the third and fourth wax guy. (laughs) The kids are like, Dad, would you act your age? I'm thinking, I am. So 
What I wasn't counting on is these two little old ladies came around the corner. You guys, they were older than dirt. They came walking around, and they reached for it. They pulled my whiskers. <laughs> they said he looks so real. And I was like, I couldn't move, right? Because I knew if I moved, they'd have a stroke and own my house. <laughs> so you know what I did? You know what I realized about myself, you guys? I'm a poser. I'm a poser. That's why I'm a pretty good lawyer. And some of you are too. We're posing. And God just shouts into that all throughout Scripture. Be not afraid. Remember, like Joshua, you're taking over for Moses. Like, no, 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 no. I can't be not afraid. Like, and like, remember to Jeremiah, you're the new big prophet, not me. I can't even talk. Be not afraid. And Abram, before this big battle, I'm your shield and your great reward. Be not afraid. And the three dudes in a rowboat, Jesus comes out and says, it is I. Be not afraid. Get the memo? If we just weren't afraid anymore, we could be us. We know who we were, what we wanted. And you're going to fail in me too. You know what I carry around in my wallet? I kid you not. I give myself two epic fails every year. January 1st, I, honest, I tear off two of these. I give myself two fails every year just because I want to remind myself not to be afraid. And when there's a big screw up, I just go well, like, well, shoot. You just don't want to go through all your tickets by the 15th of January. <laughs> right? Here, I'm going to give you four. <laughs> but like, what if we're those? We, we're just not afraid anymore. Here's the deal, though. You don't want to screw up relationships. You screw up two relationships every year, you'll have more baggage than Delta Airlines, right? We just want to be like the ones that just aren't afraid to try stuff. We want to live into our calling. My calling, I know, is justice. And it wasn't because God told me so. He talks to me through you guys. And I, but I'm a lawyer in Uganda, if you followed what's going on there this 25-year civil war that wrapped up a couple years ago, and just there's so much that that country needs. The average age for the whole country, 15 years old. Is that nuts? So I just started going to Uganda, and we started a school. Oh, remember, I wrote this book, Love Does. Thomas Nelson said, would you write a book? I said, I don't know, would you build a school? <laughs> and they said, tell me about the school. I said, okay, 310 child soldiers in northern Uganda and 40 teachers. They said, big school. I said, big book. And so I made them pay me in advance because <laughs> I'm a lawyer. So we built the whole school. And oh, on the last page of the book, there was some room. I said, I was thinking about, I don't know about you, but I was finding that I was getting less available as time went by. Are you guys finding that? And I had this idea. What if I put my cell phone number on the last page of the book? <laughs> And they said, no. And so I said, well, now we have to. So I did. And you guys, there's a quarter of a million people with my cell phone and 900 witch doctors. I'm not kidding. And, and they call. I get all these calls. I get 50 calls a day. It's terrific. I can't get anything done because I don't let people go to voicemail. I don't. Now, don't you call me while I'm talking, right? I've got FBI, like, everywhere. They know. But like, I don't let people go to voicemail. Every single time the phone rings, people are wondering this. I wonder if it's really true. If I had a recording that said you can buy a case of books for cheap or something, they wouldn't hate me. They'd just say like typical. That's what people are wondering about you. 
and your generosity and your hopes for the world. I wonder if it's really true. And you know what we need to do to answer that question sometimes? Just say hello. Just answer the phone. There was a woman that called up and she said that she'd been given this book and uh, she'd been diagnosed as having this tumor. And uh, she was going to go in for an operation on this brain tumor on Tuesday. And I said, honey, like, what are you thinking? And she said, you know what? The darndest thing, when they go to operate on the tumor, they have to go through the part of my brain that lets me talk. I said, man, what are the conversations that you're having with your friend? I'd be tempted, maybe like you, to want to say everything. You know what she said? I'm being really picky about what I say. What if we were picky? You want to know who you are and what you want? What if we're the ones that are picky about what we say? We're not blowing sunshine at people, but we see them. It's good to see you. We're going to lift you up. We, we come up with words. I carry around, I know this sounds nuts, but I carry around medals with me. Like, right? I just, they don't say anything. They mean whatever I say they mean. And like, I don't miss a chance to give a friend a medal. And I, I go through, I'm at the airport, and it's a metal detector. I'm like, yes, medals. I've got look, 500 of them. So, but what if we stop and see each other? What if we're picky about what we say? One of the things is I'm trying to do is this. There's stuff that I'm able to do, and with a really high-functioning group, that might be one of the impediments for you. You're able to do so many things, but you're only made to do a couple things. Figure, you want to know who you are? What you'll figure out what you're made to do and do a bunch of that. And so those of you that know me, I, I've, the pattern is full in your life like mine. I quit something every Thursday. Isn't that great? I have this law firm. I blow it up once a year. It's over. I have a two-page agreement. It says it's my law firm, and it's over December 31st. <laughs> Isn't that great? Everybody's out of work, including me. I'm like every father-in-law's nightmare. Like, there's this thing about just quitting stuff. In San Diego, we have four aircraft carriers there. And, and when an aircraft carrier is about to launch, the last signal that the pilot gives to the guys down below is this. Here, put your fists together. It be, you do this. It means pull the chocks. Isn't that beautiful? It'll come in great at a dinner party when you're like out of here. We're like, we're out of here, right? Just don't do all I'm talking. We're like, but land the plane, something. But there's this idea that we could be the ones that pull the chocks on, on who it is that we were made to be. And then instead of picking our career and backfilling our life, we just say, this is one of those made-to-do things. I'm going to pick that and backfill my career behind it. So I picked justice, and I got to Uganda, and I, if I don't want like your son hanging out with my daughter, I accuse him of defilement, and that day he goes to prison. And let me show you Ugandan jail cell. These are 13 little boys. They're 15 years old that I found in the cell. They've been in that jail cell for three years on an accusation. Never stepped foot in a courtroom. There's a plastic bucket in the back, and they let about an hour a day. I'm like, this is nuts. And kids, like, Jesus is nuts about justice. He loves kids. He hates lawyers, but he's nuts about justice. He, so like you, I don't know all the steps, but I knew the next step. So I bought the entire Ugandan law library, both books. And I just started briefing cases. I'm like, like I was invited. And then we built a school. We, we tried the first 100 cases, dropped 98 kids off home with all the charges resolved. And a couple of them ended up in this school that this book built. 
And like, and these kids are thriving. One kid that ended up there, we started this thing probably eight years ago in a real humble fashion, and it's just gotten bigger and bigger. His name is Oboma. And Oboma's parents were taken out from his hut and burned alive in front of him. Can you imagine what that would be like to be that kid? And to be able to get that kid and say, this is who you are, and you're not that. This is what you want. You know what? Obama graduated this year in October from the Restore Leadership Academy, and he was the valedictorian, and he just got admitted to law school last week. Just go like, that's who I am. That's what I want. And the more that we start doing that to each other, the more we live into that, the more we're just not afraid anymore. Like all this terrific stuff happens. There's this horrible practice in Uganda and it's child sacrifice and it's creepy stuff, you guys. But the belief is that the head or blood or private parts of a little boy have these magical powers. And so get this, in the last 12 months, 863 kids have gone missing. And the people that are doing this are the witch doctors. And everybody's afraid of them. There's always a victim, but they're always dead, right? And then these bad guys, like everybody's afraid of the witch doctor. There's no victim that's alive until this year. And this guy, who's a creepy guy, his name is Kabi. Kabi abducts a little kid, and we'll just say his name is Charlie. And Kabi is the most evil man I've ever met. First time I was in a room with him, I texted a friend, Don, and I said, I'm looking into the eyes of pure evil. And Kabi took this boy into the bush and cut off these parts and left him for dead. But guess what, you guys? Charlie didn't die. There's this beautiful, the beginning of the book of Acts. Theophilus, lover of God. Look for many convincing proofs that Jesus is still alive. Isn't that beautiful? To a lawyer like me, it's like dusting for fingerprints. It's like seeing evidence. I don't see clouds that look like Jesus or a topiary that looks like John the Baptist. I like to see stuff in your life. You're living into who God made you, what you want. And I saw it in this kid. And so I asked the chief justice of Uganda Supreme Court if I could try the case. And he said, you're nuts and you'll never find a judge. And then we did. And this scrappy judge on the border of Congo uh, tried this case. It's a death penalty case. And the first time anybody's taken on a witch doctor. And 33 million people in Uganda think these guys have all the power. But we know different. Jesus has all the power. And this little four-foot-tall kid stood up and said, that's the man who tried to kill me. And Kabi gets convicted, and a shot gets heard around Uganda. We're not afraid anymore. You know, when I met Charlie the first time, I asked him, what were you thinking when you came to in this cassava field? And he said two things, I love God and I'm not afraid. Man, I'm just like, that's who I want to be. Let me introduce you to Charlie. This is the kid that changed everything. And I don't know what it's going to be like when you and I get to heaven, but don't you hope Jesus just touches you on the nose? Like he said, like you rascal. Like, you were who I made you to be. And I don't know what our heavenly clothes will look like, but I'm just hoping for Spider-Man uniform. Right? I'm like, okay, bring it. Well, Kabi goes away to prison. But this little boy, this was done with a machete. He's all hacked up. There's a doctor. And he's trying to learn how to fly a beaver seaplane. And the person teaching him how to fly tells him all about Charlie. And what, what happened? He lands the plane. 
And he calls me up at home. He says, Bob, you don't know me. My name's Randy, and I heard what happened to this little boy, and I can fix him. And I said, buddy, like you didn't hear what happened to him. You can't fix that. And he said, I'm the chief of surgery at Cedar sinai Medical Center. I can fix him. And I said, what? So I drive up to L.A. I meet with this guy, and he gets out a piece of paper, and he starts drawing what he's going to do, which is way too much information. I'm like, yikes! Like, you can do that? And he's like, he's going to take some leg and some arm, and like, you guys, if they find that at TSA this afternoon, I'm going to jail. So I said, what would that cost? And he said, it'd be staggering, but I'll do it for nothing. Evidence of Jesus? I'm like, I can afford nothing. So... <laughs> 180 days ago, Cedar sinai writes a check for $50,000. And I fly to Uganda, and I get the four-footer, right? In our first stop, I go to court and become his legal guardian. This kid's never seen an airplane. We get on the plane. We fly to London. And when we're getting off the plane, he says, Father, could we just walk the rest of the way? I'm like, oh, buddy, sorry. <laughs> so... I check my emails. Now, do you guys have friends that you play pranks on? I hope so. It's like the sixth love language, pranks. So there's this guy, Doug. Some of you have read about him. In Wikipedia, under low-hanging fruit, there's his picture. So (laughs) Doug made the mistake of telling me where he was spending his 15-year wedding anniversary. (laughs) Big mistake. He got the penthouse suite at this big hotel. So I took sweet Maria, and we checked in as them. (laughs) We got in the elevator, and up we went, and we step out into this room. You look this way and see London. If you look this way, you'll see Asia. Like, it was that cool. So I get on the phone, and I call room service, and I have them send up lobster and creme brulee. We dance. We had a terrific time. And then we tidied up, and we split, right? And And the whole idea, the whole idea is that Doug checked out the next day after having a great night, and he got a $400 bill. He's like, Bob! Now, he's been trying to get me back, but he can't because I'm a lawyer. So I get this call from a guy, and he's a really convincing Ugandan accent. He says, this is Ambassador Kamunanwari. I'm the ambassador from Uganda to the U.S., and and, uh, I've heard what you're doing, and I want to know if you'll be counsel for the Republic of Uganda. (laughs) I said, Maria, it's Doug. (laughs) He says he's the ambassador, right? So I'll just say yes. So I said, that would be terrific. (laughs) When do I start, right? So he says, uh, you know, I'll be back from Uganda in two months. I'll give you a call. So two months later, the phone rings. I'd forgotten Doug's stupid prank, and it's Doug again. He says, this is Ambassador Kamunanwari. You need to meet me in New York on Saturday. So I said yes. So now I'm getting off the plane at JFK, thinking there's going to be a sign saying gotcha or something. At the bottom of the stairs are all these members of Uganda's cabinet. (laughs) And I'm like, ah! And this guy runs over to me and he says, I'm Ambassador Kamudin Willie. And I said, of course you are. And he, he introduces me as Uganda's new consul. And I said, you know, you said like counsel, like lawyer. He said, no, no. I said consul, like diplomat. Evidence of Jesus? I'm like, yes! So you guys, I'm Uganda's consul. Isn't that great? I love it. So (laughs) I walk into embassies to meet people. They're like, yeah, where's the Ugandan guy? I'm like, I know I get that all the time. So... (laughs) Here's the thing about being the consul. You get little flags for your pickup truck. It's a little much, but baby, I've got them. And you know the coolest part? 
about being a consul. Wherever the flag flies and, and the uh, consul lives, it's Uganda. This stage is Uganda. If you need to seek asylum, you just come right on up. I have the flag of Uganda over my house. I kid you not, it's Uganda. Somebody stole my car. And like, it's not the police that come. It's like dudes in Suburbans that are black with like guy guns. In like a minute, I dare you to TP my house. So, <laughs> oh, here's the best part about being consul. I have diplomatic immunity. I'm not kidding. I could kill you. <laughs> Evidence of Jesus. So... I open up my laptop and Charlie and I are sitting in London and there's an email in the box and it's, it says White House. <laughs> I'm like, Doug, right? The message is really short. It just says, we'd like to meet Charlie. I make a couple calls, you guys. It's legit. And this kid that two days before is standing in the bush in Congo is now standing in the Oval Office. Why does God do that stuff? Because he wants to blow your minds. He wants it like 1 Corinthians one twenty-five. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you of noble birth. But he uses the foolish things. The things that are not to displace the things that are. And here's the punchline. So no one will boast. But if we boast, we boast about the Lord. So we go from Disneyland, or to, from the Oval Office to Disneyland, right? Because any kid that's going to get that operation the next day needs to go to the happiest place on earth. <laughs> You're going to feel a little pinch. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, the next, and the next day, I put Charlie in his little green scrubs, and he's on the operating gurney, and I gave him a kiss on the forehead. And I said, Charlie, be not afraid. And then Randy Sherman hooked him up. And that's how good God is. But let me ask you this. The way my world works is terrific kids like Charlie. And then there's evil people, guys that are my enemy, like Kabi. Kabi goes to Lazero Maximum Security Prison. It is the scariest place on earth. It's built in 1920 for 200 death row inmates. There's 3,000 guys in Lazero. There's no windows. You go through a metal door in this dark place and you just go there to die. There's no parole, there's no anything. And I called the warden and I said, could I meet with Kabi? And I hadn't seen him since I put him there. And when Kabi came in, he took a knee and he started talking about how bad he felt about what he'd done to Charlie. And I was thinking like you, like you just feel bad you got caught. And then he started talking about witchcraft and where it had taken him in his life. And then his words, not mine, he said, I know I'm going to die in this place. What I really need is forgiveness. And I felt like I was talking to a criminal hanging on a cross next to Jesus. You know the one that Jesus says, you get paradise. And you know what, friends? I didn't want Kabi to go because he hurt my friend. But isn't it great that God's ability to forgive us isn't limited by our ability to get it? And Kabi comes to Christ. I'm like... Really? <laughs> like, he gets it too? Really, I got an interrobang about that, don't you? I'd be like, really? The guy that does that, that's that evil? But Kabi's not like me. I meet with him every 60 days in Lazira. We read over Scripture together. We read over Matthew 5 about loving your enemies. We leave a, 
read about living this life. We read about forgiveness. And he doesn't want to just agree with Jesus like me. He just wants to do stuff. And so I asked the warden a couple trips ago, uh, do you ever let anybody come in here and present the gospel message to these prisoners? And he said, no, we don't let outsiders here. And I said, well, have a copy. He's already here. And inexplicably, evidence of Jesus, the warden said yes. And two months ago, Cobby and I held hands in Lazero Maximum Security Prison, and he presented the gospel of Christ to 3,000 dying men. And you know what? He screwed it up. I was like, as Finkter says, what? <laughs> what? You know the only thing he got right? Jesus. That's all you have to get right. If you get the exclamation point after Jesus, you get it all. And then all these prisoners started coming at us. Like, Cobby grabs a water bottle and he starts baptizing. I'm like, no, you can't do that. I'm like, maybe, like, shoot. (laughs) And then Cobby grabs my hand and he said, Bob, I know I'm going to die here because of you, but I want you to know that I forgive you. I'm like, you can't forgive me, you're the bad guy. <laughs> but Cobby's not like me. He knows that he can't be perfect. He can't be awesome like his Father in heaven is if I'm his enemy. And so as we think about generous giving, as we think about how do we impact this world, for me, I just got to stop agreeing with Jesus and just say like, man, I just, so what's next? And like heaven's just saying like, yeah. There you are. Be that person. When the judge signs a death penalty in Uganda, the tradition is to take the pen after it's signed and to break it. And he throws it off the table. And it's one of those gulp moments because Kabi's going to die. And you know what they say? What's been done today will never be undone. Isn't that this message of Christ that we're bringing to the world? What's been done today will never be undone. Romans 8, neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither heights nor depths, nor any power, nothing ever, ever, ever will separate us from the love of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That like, we can't be separated. I can't be separated. Cobby can't be separated. You can't be separated. I love that. I've been married to Maria. It's actually been 26 years, eight days, eight months, and nine days. But who's counting? I've been loving her for 30, but she's been loving me for 26 years, eight days, eight months. So the only rotten thing that woman has ever done to me, I sent her to get a dog. And I want a guide dog, because I've got a beaver seaplane, right? I wanted like a T-Rex or something, right? And she came home with a tiny teacup poodle. I'm like, really? Right, first Cobby, now this. And, and this dog has clothes. I'm like, no, and it won't die. It's like that monkey in Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, it just won't die. I'm like, buddy, come on. She comes home, and I've got it under a pillow in the back room. <laughs> Have you seen the dog? I'm like, I don't recall. But his whole world is this blue ball. Do you have a dog like that? Wherever the ball is, like that's as I keep throwing it in the fireplace. I'm like, fetch. (laughs) But that's us. What if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? We keep asking these questions, just like we are at these tables. Who are you? What do you want? And by knowing some of that, we learn a little bit more about who Jesus is. 
and what he wants. And we do that stuff. I'll land the plane with this. We have a parade on our block. And our block's only eight houses long. We started this 17 years ago. In the, um, if 17 years ago, there was just five of us and a little old lady. So we made her the queen. So like, do that. And we walked down to my front yard and chest bumped and said, see you next year. So, but the next year there was 100 people. And the next year, 300. And the next year, five. 17 years later, when everybody lines up, we're at our house, right? <laughs> the fire truck comes into everything. I go up there the, each morning before the parade and I say, will you be in the parade this year? And I tell them, either way you're going to be in the parade, right? Nine one one. Send. So we needed a grand marshal and I just the four footer for the parade. And when the parade was over, I was wondering to myself, I wonder how many balloons it would take to lift this kid off the ground because we put out thousands of helium balloons. I'm like, let's attach them. So I, and I'm a lawyer. So I tied a hundred balloons to this kid. Nothing. I tie 500 balloons to this kid. I tie 850. I've got balloons tied to balloons. And do you guys want to know what happens when you tie 1,000 healing balloons to a four-foot Ugandan kid? Do you have that picture? That! Lift off! And you guys, that's us. We lift each other up. Here, hold hands. I want part of this. Hold hands with who's on your table. You guys... That's who we are. That's what we want. And we just, we take this room, we decide we're just going to lift people up. We're going to be who Jesus made us to be. We're not afraid anymore. We'll lift this whole country up. We'll lift the world. Isn't that terrific? That's who we are. Let me pray for us. So Jesus, you've been eavesdropping on this morning. You've been eavesdropping on our whole lives. And we ask you to continue to do that. We love you. We want to be the people that you made us to be. And we're just not afraid anymore. In your strong name, amen.